Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to Podcast 102 of Strength for Today's Pastor. Today, we're happy to have Lance Ralston with us, founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, Oxnard, California. We're going to have a conversation about the ideas contained in a new book by author Rod Dreher, a book that contains a message that could have major impacts upon the ministries of pastors, leaders, and churches. A bit about Lance. He's been married to his wife, Lynn, for 40 years. They have three children and four grandchildren. They began Calvary Chapel Oxnard 38 years ago, and the church's ministry has a wide reach, which includes a 24-hour low-power FM radio station. Lance is the author of the book, Marriage as It Was Meant to Be. He also has authored a popular podcast called Communio Sanctorum, History of the Christian Church, which I just now found out about uh, in the last few days, and that just sounds really interesting. Lance, thanks for joining us today. It's been a a blessing to know you over the years, and it's great to have you today. Uh, It's great to be a part of this, Bill. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to share. Well, you're welcome. So we're going to be talking about the message of the book, Live Not by Lies, by Rod Dreher. And I actually heard about this book from you, sort of indirectly, on MeWe, the social uh, media platform, uh, you had recommended a podcast episode by Alyssa Childers in which she interviews author Rod Dreher about the contents of this book. And after watching that, I bought the book. My wife and I have been reading it. And so that led me to want to ask you to comment on the book's message. And uh, his subtitle for his book, Live Not By Lies, is a manual for Christian dissidents. That really caught my attention. And so what are the implications of Live Not By Lies and a manual for Christian dissidents and for the U.S. church today? That's what we want to talk about. And graciously, when I asked you if you'd be willing to be part of this podcast on this subject, you said yes. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it's great to be a part of this. I, I, uh, I read a lot, uh, but this book really spoke to me on a, on a deep, deep level. Well, I want to hear more about that. So the title of the book is a title, is the title of an essay that was written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn on the day that he was arrested by the Russian secret police. And the next day he was exiled from Russia. And in this essay, which he entitled Live Not By Lies, he meant Soviet ideology. That's what he was referring to by the, the word lies, communist dogma, communist propaganda, live not by that, the lies that were necessary to support and advance the Soviet system. So Rod Dreher, in the writing of this book, is essentially saying the same thing, live not by lies, uh, by the propaganda that's going on to further a socialist slash communist ideology in the United States, and he applied it to the West in particular. So maybe what you could do for us right now, Lance, give us a flyover synopsis of Dreher's book. How, do, how does Dreher expand on Solzhenitsyn's idea as it applies to our present day? I mean, I, there are a lot of ideas that flow out of that question. So go sure. for it. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, I think Dreher makes a, a convincing case that we're headed for what, what he calls a soft totalitarianism. Um, totalitarianism 
is when a single ideology dominates a society. It replaces all prior traditions and institutions, bringing all aspects of culture under the control of that prevailing ideology. The ideology that he envisions taking charge is the radical agenda of what uh, is known as the progressive left. Uh, and that's really why Alyssa Childers had him on her program, because she does a lot of work in speaking to the progressive uh, church, progressive Christians. Uh, Dreher urges Christians to prepare for that totalitarianism by learning from the underground church of the Soviet Union and her allies in Eastern Europe. And as you mentioned, the title of the book is drawn from a line in an essay by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Communism was a system that was built on lies. The biggest threat to it was truth. And so the Soviets did all they could to suppress it. They rewarded people who promoted lies and punished those who stood for truth. It got to the point where people repeated and operated by what they knew were lies, just so they could get ahead in the Soviet system. Solzhenitsyn urged his fellow believers to refuse to repeat or live by what they knew was untrue. They might not be able to stand up in the public and proclaim truth, but they didn't have to go along with the lies that shaped the communist state. The book tells the stories of many who, because of a commitment to truth rather than lies, were alienated from the perks of the Soviet system. But it was from those moral and it was from that moral and spiritual core uh, that the Soviet Union was eventually brought down. Well, that's that's an incredible thing. So what Dreyer is doing now is he's attempting to arouse Christians in the West from our slumber and help us to become aware of these things, right? And inspire uh, believers to take action before it's too late. And his essential thing would be live not by lies. Exactly. To, to not go along with the system, uh, which he sees as becoming increasingly coercive in going along with it. If you want to, you know, it's the old thing, if you want to uh, get along, you got to go along. And he's saying at some point, Christians are going to have to say, to go along with the system, progressive uh, left, you're going to have to end up believing and then repeating those lies, knowing their lies. And he's saying, we as Christians can't do that because we're called to be the people of truth. So he points out in the book that this is going to cost something, most likely, in many cases. And in some cases, even could cost uh, loss of family, loss of employment, maybe even loss of life in some situation. He calls us to suffer. I noticed that in the book, that there is a, a consistent, well, not a consistent, but a real pronounced uh, theme about suffering, that how necessary it is for Christians to be ready for it if we're going to take a stance and not live by lies. Yeah, exactly the case. That's why he tells these stories of these believers who uh, ended up living really uh, on the fringe of Soviet society uh, because they wouldn't go along with the lies of the Soviet system, and it ended up, ended up costing them in terms of uh, education, uh, where they could even live, the jobs that they could have. Uh, there was a cost. You know, Bill, I, I think there's something important to be said here, and that is uh, Jesus issued the challenge to those that were considering following him. He said that they needed to count the cost. Mm-hmm. And uh, suffering is not a subject that we in the West are, are uh, comfortable with. Um, churches typically don't teach on suffering. I've realized recently a need 
to begin to prepare the people of our church to suffer. And I realize how woefully inadequate I personally am to do that. And so I'm in a time, a season myself right now, reading everything I can on suffering, the theology of suffering. Um, In our culture, suffering is evil. It's an evil to be avoided at virtually all cost. And uh, if we do not renew our thinking in that regard as believers, then then we'll end up being sucked in by the culture to avoid suffering. And by doing so, we're going to end up compromising the gospel. So I think a message of suffering is something that the pulpits of America need need to begin to inculcate within the understanding of their people. You follow Jesus, it's going to cost. I can imagine some who would be listening to this podcast, maybe not pastors so much, but some who would listen to this podcast that would say, isn't this just crazy conspiracy theory talk that we're, that we're dealing with here? Why should we take what Dreher warns about seriously? He, he's warning, as you mentioned, about uh, what he calls soft totalitarianism, but there are signs that he says that Christians should watch out for and prepare for. So that's, that's a mouthful uh, what are some of the signs or current examples of soft totalitarianism, and how does Dreher make his point, and, and what would you see as current examples of, of the inroads of totalitarianism, soft totalitarianism into our culture? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, we're seeing it. I think anybody who's paying any attention to the news would say, well, we're already seeing it. Uh, Bill, look at the success of what's called the cancel culture. <laughs> If someone deviates from the approved progressive left narrative, they become persona non grata. Uh, look what's happening on social media, Twitter and Facebook, censoring posts by those that don't want to support and spout the approved narrative. Uh, the Internet was originally intended as a place for the free exchange of ideas, but a handful of for-profit big tech companies have taken over the Internet. They write algorithms designed to promote what they want promoted while downgrading and shadow banning those that don't. The deplatforming of the alternative to Twitter social media site Parler, man, that should be a huge concern to all people concerned about the freedom of religion and thought. Sadly, it seems Europe <laughs> has been more concerned about what happened to Parler than people here in the United States. Now, Dreher mentions China's social credit system by which those who do live by lies and faithfully spout the party slogans are rewarded with additional privileges, while those who fail to show sufficient allegiance to the party lose social standing and access to services. And we're seeing a similar movement to that in, well, today in our country, lost educational opportunities, job promotions, and awards and accolades from peers if one isn't deemed woke enough. I mean, we are already seeing this playing out in our culture. So there is a movement towards totalitarianism, the the acceptance of only one approved ideology. Some would say, well, hey, there are millions and millions of people, and former President Trump would say there are 75 million people that would disagree with that that whole approach, and so don't we have hope? And I, I, I hear others that say, well, maybe it's a godsend that 
that side of the political sphere didn't win the election so that now we're faced with what is a reality and has been a reality for some time and having to really be the church. I don't know where you stand on all of that, but there's an awful lot of stuff going on in the air about all that. There sure is. Yeah, there sure is. And and I understand, uh, you know, the, the that 75 million, uh, some of which are saying, you know, we need to stand up and we need to fight. Now, Bill, listen, I, I was having in a conversation with some friends uh, last week on this very subject about what what do you mean by fight? <laughs> what what are you calling for when you say fight? Yeah. Um, and 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 then one of one of the guys asked the question, "What does that look like? What does that look like to fight? And and if you win, what will that look like?" Um, we have reached a a, a place of such strong polarization in our society that that persuasion has left the public square. There, there's not an attempt to persuade anymore. The, the, it seems that the goal of the two sides in this polarized contest define winning not by persuading the other side to join you in your argument, but to defeat them and to silence them. Both sides seem to want to do that to the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that that spells disaster for a democratic society. That's the end of it. Mm-hmm. Because there's no rational and open discussion of ideas that can right. lead to an embracing of whatever truth is. Right. Exactly right. Wow. That's pretty scary. So just personally, just, you know, asking you what you feel like on a personal level is there any hope? <laughs> My goodness, this is uh, this is sounding scary. Like we're heading towards the th- you know the Third Reich, which is fascism, but um, the Soviet Union, which is communism. So, Bill, uh, you asked me my personal opinion. Obviously, uh, that's what I'm. I'm going to give you my my personal. I'm not speaking prophetically here. Yeah, uh, I believe the Bible. Uh, that's obvious. I know that the listeners do as well. We believe the Bible. It occurred to me a while ago that while my tradition, Calvary Chapel, has been known for its teaching on Bible prophecy and the belief in a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture and a pretty literal understanding of the Bible regarding end times, that while we teach that, we haven't really been doing much in the way of planning ministry around it. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Right? We haven't. When we teach it, we love doing Bible prophecy conferences and talking about how this current event may fulfill that Bible prophecy and all. But when it comes to the actual ministry and how we minister to people, we haven't really been doing much. Um, and, and I think the mentality could be, well, the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, so we're going to be out of here. So we don't. what do we need to do? Um, and I've come to realize we could be headed into some really dark times before the rapture, before the beginning of the tribulation. Uh the Soviet system happened before the tribulation. You had a church and a bunch of Christians that were not prepared, well prepared for how to deal with totalitarianism. And so it began to dawn on me, um, I do believe the end is coming, and I do believe the tribulation is going to be dark, but I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, rainbows and unicorns on Thursday, and then the rapture happened Thursday night, and it's hell on earth on Friday. It's going to be a slow, gradual progression into darkness and evil before the tribulation comes. And I don't think Christians in America are ready for it. So um, I, I've been 
praying, and we are now at our church preparing for the church to be underground. The day may very well come before the rapture, where the church... <laughs> we have this COVID thing happening right now where we're told we can't meet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a suspicion that we may very well be headed into a, a time when the church is deemed unhealthy to society at large because it won't embrace the progressive narrative. And so uh, for public health reasons, we're going to ban you all together. Believers will have to make a choice then to either hold their faith completely privately and secretly or to begin meeting in secret. And uh, I believe that it's our duty to begin to prepare believers and mechanisms for that to, for that to happen. So that's what we're doing. We're we're starting to train house church leaders. Okay, so that is very practical. And so you're hitting on a, on a point that I've always felt is really important, especially in the last 15, 20 years. In teaching on the pre-tribulational rapture, if my theology and my teaching on that particular subject eliminates the possibility of suffering in the West, I'm not teaching it accurately. But some of it, some of that kind of teaching has we've we've looked at it as an escapism theology, but that's not what you're saying. You're saying we don't know how much we're going to have to suffer here in the West. Certainly, the rest of the world has experienced suffering, but we haven't. So the church exactly. isn't ready. So you guys are being proactive and you're deciding to prepare for it. And house church uh, leaders and house church underground focus is where you're going with it so maybe right. yeah that's that's great i love it so how, talk about that a little bit more i'm interested well we have a discipleship program that we do three levels of it uh an introductory level then uh, more of a how, how do you uh intentionally pursue spiritual maturity is part two part three we haven't done yet but that will be specifically training christian leaders and uh, the last part of it will be how, how do you lead when you have to lead covertly, when you have to lead in secret, mm -hmm. we will be talking with people about how to um, how to endure interrogation. We're going to actually be talking about that, mm. and the reason why is because uh, Bill, as you read in uh, "Live Not by Lies," that was one of the things that a um, a Jesuit priest did. Mm -hmm. uh, he was in Czechoslovakia, and uh, he he had studied the Soviet Union. And during World War II, uh, he was in Czechoslovakia when the Czechoslovakian government made an agreement with Stalin that they would um, help help the Soviets resist the Nazis. And then the, Stalin made the promise, when the war is over, we'll give you back your freedom. But this priest knew the imperialistic nature of communism, and he said, no, they're not. They're going to stay in charge. They're going to stay here. And so he knew what was coming. Um, that communism is built on lies and that they, they can't tolerate the church, which tells the truth, and that eventually the church would be persecuted and oppressed. And so he began forming small groups and training leaders intentionally and very specifically on how to resist interrogation, how to meet secretly, um, and the, the reality of suffering, uh, the, the redemptive side of suffering, and uh, and and it, it all it all happened exactly as he played as he as he said. Now those house church leaders and those Christians that were meeting in the underground church, many of them ended up being arrested and sentenced to prison. When their pr prison sentences were over, they were released in the sixties. 
they ended up becoming, um, going right back into leading the underground church. And Bill, interestingly, in the 80s, uh, it was from that underground church movement that he had started, Kolkovich, that he had started that uh, opposition to the communist system in Czechoslovakia was birthed. Wow. And they met in mass in Bratislava for something called the candle demonstration. It was unknown how many Christians there were. And all of a sudden now the central courtyard there in Bratislava was filled with thousands and thousands of Christians that came, people that came, uh, all led by the underground church. And when the communist officials saw the opposition, they were, they were scared to death. And that was the beginning of the Velvet Revolution that led to the end of communism in Czechoslovakia and then just began the domino falls of the rest of Eastern Europe and eventually the Soviet Union ended up falling apart as a result. Now listen, because one man had the vision of what was coming and proactively began to get prepared for it. That is super, super encouraging and and, and tells the story about how the, uh, the whole system built on lies is a house, house of cards. It can be burned down, torn down pretty pretty quickly, really, if, right. there, if there's a united front that is based on truth and has been willing to live that way, no matter what the cost. Amen. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, I can, I can envision if, uh, if this does happen and eventuate as we're talking, Lance, that this kind of uh, underground church experience is going to have to be really practical you mentioned you know how to how to undergo interrogation but you know the the jobs that are going to be lost the you know the cancel culture doing its thing and so on we're going to have to support one another financially with living uh opportunities all kinds of stuff yeah exactly and and this is what the underground church did uh it's <laughs> i love the way that god providentially brings resources into our lives at just the right moment Unrelated to uh, Dreher's book, uh, I began uh, reading a book called The Insanity of God and then the follow-up version to that, The Insanity of Obedience, which is about suffering, about um, living as believers in a culture that uh, uh, is oppressive and persecutes believers, um, and and again, the role of suffering in the life of the believer. Bill, listen, the, the American church is going to need a major paradigm shift if it's gonna, if it's gonna make it through this, if it's gonna endure, because again, we we have a really goofy idea about suffering. It mm. comes from our culture, yeah. Um, and and uh, I think it's a an untaught aspect of the Christian life that is finds lots and lots and lots of counsel from Scripture. So uh, we're going to be doing that in our fellowship, and I want to encourage any of my brothers that are that are listening. Um, to begin to pray about this and and to begin to study it and understand um, the the place of suffering in the life of the believer and the life of the church collectively. Yeah, Amen. Because uh, the the stakes are so high. But um, so I want to ask you, Lance. Um, so you're you're studying a lot. You're doing a lot of reading on the theology of suffering, the practical aspects of suffering, how the church is undergone uh, suffering successfully in the past. Um, are you going to start teaching on this subject? Yes, yes. I, I intend to do 
a specific message, one message in which I'm going to uh, lay all of this out. Wow. Um, and and then and then to in that message that inform people going forward, we're not going to deal with this just one Sunday. It'll be it'll be something that we return to and look for in Scripture uh, because it's something we we need to begin to prepare ourselves for. And it is really not in place now in our thinking. Mm-hmm. It culturally and I think even the culture of the church. I mean, just think about the whole prosperity message, right? The oh, whole yeah. health and wealth yeah. message. Yeah. It regards suffering as a lack of faith, as as a manifestation of evil, um, as not part of your you know your divine birthright. Uh, and yet Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, right? But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So um, uh, though all those that would that would seek to live godly will suffer, Peter says. So yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's all there. Well, it seems to me that uh, this is one of the great reasons that the apostolic church was the greatest church. They yeah. they got it. They understood it. And Paul said, you know, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed That's to right. his death. I mean, it was all part of his theology for sure, obviously. Right. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, you you give me a good segue to another question, which is off script. We hadn't really talked about this before, but uh, right this week, actually, there is a an evangelist, Mario Murillo, who's going to be meeting with a thousand pastors in Manteca, and they know why they're coming. They know that they're coming because he's going to exhort them. And these are California pastors. Open up your church, no matter what. The government says no matter what they deem is essential or non-essential, open up your churches. And he's coming strong with that message. And he's saying that if we lock shields together like this, and they decide to start arresting us, they can't possibly arrest us all. They don't have the resources to do it all. And so let's just show this this show of of unity in, in doing this. And I don't know if if you have any thoughts on that, but it's it's a little bit the other side of what we're saying. I mean, prepare for suffering, but fight for liberties as well. I mean, what 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 are your mm. thoughts? Okay, so yeah, wow. Let's open a can of worms. <laughs> yeah, Let's I just, just did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I've got friends on both sides of this, good friends on both sides of this, who adopt the attitude, you do what the government says, they're looking out for our best interest, you do what the government says, they say don't meet, don't meet. Um, I've got friends on the other side that say the government can't dictate to the church what to do. And uh, we need to we need to forcefully push back on that. In fact, when they tell us what to do, we need to let them know you know, you have no right, and so whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do the exact opposite because you're telling me what to do. Um, I'm just going to share where I've settled on this issue for me personally. I'm not going to judge anyone else because I believe you have to hear from the Lord on this. Amen. We at Calvary Chapel of Oxnard, from the beginning of this, have listened with respect to the governing authorities, uh, but we have taken that to the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, and said, what do you want us to do? At the very beginning, because we did not know if this was going to be a repeat of the Spanish flu or not, we we shut down. Yeah. That was, a, you know, remember the remember the 
two weeks to slow the spread. Remember that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's looking more like two years. Um, So we, we followed that. But when it became clear that the supposed science that they were using for their mandates was not was not consistent. They were only listening to the voices that were affirming their priors. That we dis, that we said, okay, we we showed due respect, but Lord, what do you want us to do? This is your church. What do you want us to do? And we've been following what we believe is the Holy Spirit's counsel for us ever since. I'm not going to tell you what that is unless you specifically ask me what that is. Um, we have sought to minister to all the people that call Calvary Chapel of Oxnard their home, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And so we've done different kinds of services, different ways. From throughout the whole thing, our concern is church is essential. I don't care what the government says. Church is essential. And so we are going to minister to the needs of all of our people. All of our people. Some people can't, our people can't come to church. So we minister to them online. Others can, um, but they want to defer to the government or they have to exercise caution. We're ministering to them. Others are, be, are past it. Others can't wear a mask. Um, uh, and, and their sensibility is, um, when the government is pushing me, uh, I can't comply with a government that seems to be requiring me to dishonor my Lord. So we're ministering to them as well. So we're ministering to everybody. And so far, the response that we've received has been, you guys are great. I mean, what you're doing, we, we, we love it. Sadly, I say sadly, it's kind of sad. We've had a lot of people from other churches begin attending because their churches are shut down. I say sadly because those churches have lost some really good people. Mm. Um, but we're, we're following the direction of the Lord. And so, Bill... The question here, um, I, I'm not going to judge others. They're, they got to do what they believe the Lord is telling them to do. Mm-hmm. I do have a problem with guys who say, if you're following the Lord, you will do it this way. Uh-huh. Th- that's my problem. Um, I know what the Lord is telling us, but our, our congregation is made up of our people what do you tell the guy whose congregation is made up of primarily 60 and 70 year olds? Yeah. As opposed to the church that's mostly young families with a bunch of kids that really struggle to have mass. See, I'm not going to tell them how to minister to their people. That's between them and God. Yeah. They're going to answer to him. They're not going to answer to me. Right. And I'm going to answer to God. I'm not going to answer to them. Yeah. Well, nobody could accuse Calvary Chapel of Oxnard of being uh, just lame ducks in all of this, or just um, you know lacking courage. You're you're being proactive. You're you're going to be teaching on suffering. You're preparing people to go underground for crying out loud. So it looks to me like you're you're uh, you're taking a very courageous stance. So when that com- curriculum comes out, when you when you finish your training, is that going to be something that is going to uh, be available to others who who might want to take advantage of that training. I, I hope it is, uh, Bill. Uh, so the level one and level two, I think, is probably the kind of training that most churches are already doing. But uh, yeah, level three will be unique, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard about a church that teaches people how to endure an interrogation. So <laughs> I have not either. <laughs> well, uh, 
Well, that is definitely something that we'll have to be researching and studying. Um, and and if that's a, a kind of thing that people would want, absolutely, we'll make that available. Good, good. I'm really glad to hear that. Well, you know, as we kind of head toward uh, a, a, a smooth landing on this podcast, Lance, uh, Solzhenitsyn made a comment uh, as he was in his writings that after looking at 50 years of his history— uh, doing what he was doing, you know, fighting Soviet oppression and so on and so forth. And after returning to the Soviet Union, after living in actually Vermont for years, uh, he looked at it all and he said, all mm. of this happened because men have forgotten God. Mm. So that would mean to me that all of this, the the progressive left and the idea to make the state God and replace the God of the Bible and the, and the God of Christianity, the, the Lord and Savior of Christianity, Jesus Christ, with the state, that all of that really is what Henry Morris described once as being the long war against God. So in that sense, mm -hmm. we are in a spiritual battle, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are definitely in a spiritual battle. And so therefore, if we're in a spiritual battle, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, right. but mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. And then he said, casting down imaginations and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. We do that through the gospel, don't we? Isn't that supposed to be our primary thing? We need to stay centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the filling of the Holy Spirit that comes when someone surrenders to the Lordship of Christ, that, that absolutely has to be the center of our message. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't get caught up. And we as pastors need to be aware of the culture so that we can speak clearly and have, have connection points with our audience. They're immersed in the culture, for goodness sake, all, all week long. So, of course, we need to be aware of the culture. But only as a tool. That awareness is a tool so that we can effectively communicate the timeless truths of God's Word, mm -hmm. the message of Christ. Well, in preparing your congregation, Lance, about suffering and the biblical theology of suffering and doing the practical things you guys are doing, you're actually equipping them. Uh, it's like the in the first century, of course, the apostolic church, they knew what the Romans were capable of. Right. And they knew what the Jewish unbelieving leadership was capable of. They had seen it in action. So obviously they've got a, a cost account and something that they knew what it meant to take up their cross to follow Jesus. We haven't seen that here. You're preparing. Right. You're preparing the people right. to, to help right. them see what, what it is. And I commend you for that. So uh, in Dreher's book, you know, just uh, noticing some of the key themes, the theme of connection, the theme of fellowship, the, the theme of community, the theme of, you know, mm. like you're talking about going underground if necessary, that was strong. But he also had a strong emphasis on family and, and what's going to happen in the home, in fathers and mothers preparing their children. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Maybe you have some thoughts on that. Exactly your observation. Uh, the, the, the Soviets... Of course, you know, they wanted to bust up the family. That was a big part of the communist system was to bust up the family. Uh, and we're seeing, we're watching the dissolution of the family uh, in modern culture uh, here. 
so it's returning to an understood biblical again a biblical understanding of uh, male and female mother and father marriage parenting uh, all of that's going to be an important part of basic discipleship uh, and 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 again as we do that bill right what is the what are they calling that now they're calling that hate speech yeah yeah right <laughs> right and banning us as unhealthy to society uh, because we're standing in the way of the lies of the progressive left of wokeism as it's called so uh that again that's just one more factor that's going to set us at odds with the culture in which we find ourselves mm -hmm. but what a great opportunity for for fathers and husbands to really exert their ministry uh, in their homes in discipling their kids and, and, and ministering to their wives in this way to create a unit which can't be destroyed. That's right. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, we, I, I'm all for men's ministries that, that uh, re-inculcate a biblical masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? What does God intend by man, male? Um, there's some great stuff just right there in the opening chapters of the Bible. It's when I get, uh, I have, I've received several invitations to churches to come and teach on biblical masculinity. It's a subject that, it's funny because the culture is so against it, right? Toxic masculinity we hear so much about. Well, biblical masculinity is a, is a subject that is just um, you, you, you share it and you just see guys, just the ache on their face. I want this. You can yep. just see it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, there's a hunger. There's a longing. And, and it's funny because as I've shared this with, with uh, audiences where women are there as well, you see the look on their face. They're not like, oh, no, that's terrible. The look on their face is, oh, if men would only be that way. Right. It's, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Biblical men have hair on their chest. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> you know, I was talking to one pastor, and he was talking about how the the situation his church is in really has put them in a quandary with their government, and there could be some real ramifications. And he was talking about mm. the the fear that kept him up at night. But then he started talking about what he's doing in leading his congregation. And I, and I thought, is, and I actually said this to him, you know what? You have fear. I mean, that's natural, but you're not lacking courage because you're facing your fears and following through with what you know you're supposed to do in Christ. Exactly. Right. Cur courage is not an absence of fear. It's doing the right thing in the face of fear. Yeah. It's not allowing fear to dictate to you your behavior, but instead, and we're here we are, acting and behaving on behalf of truth, yes. doing what truth compels, what, what is right and good compels. You know, we we as men we love we love the heroic yeah. we love those stories you know of the guy who is not something special he's just an average guy but he's faced with this challenge which is way beyond him and and something happens inside of him where where he suddenly rises and he meets the challenge this is why we love the Lord of the Rings so much because yeah, yeah. you have these hobbits which are nobodies everybody counts them as just nothing and they become the her the heroes and we love that it brings tears to our eyes you see manly men crying why because they it, it speaks to us and says 
this can be you. And there's something in us that aches to, to for that heroic. Yeah. So yeah, courage is not an absence of fear. It's it's behaving in a right way in spite of it. Yeah. And all that comes to the surface in the church, oftentimes, as I've read, through suffering. It, through challenge, through opposition, through persecution. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. face up to it. Saint, saints are saints are not people that that uh, spend their lives on the couch eating Cool Ranch Doritos with the remote in hand. That that <laughs> those aren't heroes. Oh, n- now you're playing with my game here, but <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't like Cool Ranch Doritos. I make my own, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true. That's that's just not what a real man is. I love it. And I appreciate what you're doing in, in your fellowship. And I'm glad we had this conversation. So now, Lance, as is our practice on this podcast, you now have a couple of minutes to share anything you'd like to share with current senior pastors or leaders to strengthen them. Anything on or off topic, you're on. Wow. Thanks, Bill. Hey, thanks for this opportunity to share. Guys, I really want to encourage you to get the book by Rod Dreher, uh, Live Not By Lies. If you don't get a chance to, to read that, um, listen to the Alyssa Childers podcast, uh, where she interviewed uh, Rod. Um, and I, I want to end uh, really kind of a, with a follow-up to what, what I was just sharing. What a privilege we have to live at this moment. Brothers, think of it. For generation, Jesus' followers have wondered what it would be like to live in the last days, to live when the things that the Bible foretold were coming to pass. Well, that's us. God has honored us to live here and now. Busy leading, feeding, and protecting his flock as history winds up to its grand climax in the return of Christ. Jesus issued a sober challenge about these days. He said, when the Son of Man comes again, will he indeed find faith on the earth? And I, and I say, let's own that challenge. Wow, that's awesome. By, by God's grace, by the empowering of his Spirit, when Jesus comes for us, whenever that is, let's be found faithful. Hmm. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Thanks again, Lance, for being our guest. And uh, I'm going to ask you to lead us in a short prayer for our nation. But before I do, I'm going to ask your permission. When you do that sermon, that message on suffering, hmm. I would like to just take it just as it is and release it as it was recorded on our mm. podcast. We, can I have your permission to do that? And yeah, a- absolutely, Bill. It would be an honor. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 thank you. You've honored me by that. Yeah, yeah, that'll be great. I can't wait to hear it myself. So would you lead us in a short prayer for our nation and specifically yeah. for our church, the Church mm. of Jesus in the United States and the West, and for pastors? Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for, first of all, for writing us in your book, Thank you for the gift of salvation, for knowing that we are going to be with you in the glory and the bliss and the reward of heaven for all of eternity. Mm. Jesus, thank you for doing for us what we could not and cannot do for ourselves. Mm. Thank you, Lord. We pray that when you come, you would find us faithful. In this field, to wherever we are called, that, Lord, you would find us faithful when you come. Lord, speak to us about the moment in which we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you gave to Israel 
the men of Issachar who understood the times and the seasons and what Israel ought to do. Lord, we pray that you would make us spiritual men of Issachar who understand the times and know what the church ought to do. Lord, give us clear voices to speak to your people, to build in them a sense of vision and purpose that we would live for you, for your glory in this moment. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lance. Lance's studies and a ton of resources can be found at calvaryoxnard.org, calvaryoxnard.org, including a marriage series that he's done and ways to get a hold of some of those other resources. So that wraps things up for this podcast episode. Thank you all for joining us. We hope you can join us again next week. In Jesus' name. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Pointman Ministries. You can find us at pointmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.